You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. Genesis 1 reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for your word and who is revealed through your word, that you cared so much for us to reveal yourself to us. What a wonderful, gracious, kind God that you are. Lord, I pray today as um, we look at your word, that we look at you, that we see who you are, that you are creator God. And what that means for us, Lord, I, I just ask that you would help us to see this and be in awe of it. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how did all that come to exist? How did all of that come to exist? In November 6th, a BBC article, um, 2014, I read from an article that was entitled, Why is there something rather than nothing? And this is what the the article said in in response to this universe existing, right? It says this, People have wrestled with the mystery of why the universe exists for thousands of years. Pretty much every ancient culture um, came up with its own creation story, most of them leaving the matter in the hands of the gods. And philosophers have written reams on the subject, but science has had little to say about the ultimate question. However, in recent years, a few physicists and cosmologists have started to tackle it. They point out that we now have an understanding of the history of the universe and of the physical laws that describe how it works. That information, they say, should give us a clue about how and why the cosmos exists. Their admittedly controversial answer is that the entire universe, from the fireball of the Big Bang to the star-studded cosmos we now inhabit, popped into existence. From nothing at all. It had to happen, they say, because nothing is inherently unstable. This idea may sound bizarre, just another fanciful creation story, but the the physicists argue that it it follows naturally from science's two most popular, powerful, and successful theories, quantum mechanics, which I know nothing about, and general relativity. Basically, the article goes on to conclude that something came from nothing. And the physicists are going to show us this, right? Because nothing is inherently unstable. So this was 2014. We fast forward a little bit in 2018. And we read in the science section of The Atlantic an article with the title that reads, The universe as we understand it may be impossible. So 2014, they come up with an idea of this is how this happened. This is how it exists. 2018, we have some other scientists that are kind of saying, maybe not, right? So the article, and and I won't read the whole thing or or parts of it. The article is about a paper written by string uh, theorists by the last name of Vafa. 
of Harvard and his collaborators. Apparently, they have come up with a simple formula dictating which kinds of universes are allowed to exist and which are forbidden according to something that is called string theory, which again, I know nothing about except Sheldon Cooper is a string theorist on the, on the, on the show Big Bang Theory. That's about the limiting of string theory that I understand. So let me give you the point so that I, so that I don't lose you with all the, the mechanics of it and, and all that this article goes into. Basically, the point of it all um, for us to understand is this. Vafa and his colleagues were conjecturing that in the string, uh, string landscape, universes like ours, or what ours is thought to be, don't exist. Meaning the universe that the 2014 article describes doesn't exist, okay? Which is interesting. It's just science and, and they're trying to observe and see, and see things like that and see what, what they know and, and what they can find out. And I'm not trying to, to bash science, I'm just trying to show us something here. At this point in time, from what I understand, Vafa's theory is holding up. In other words, that you know, a lot of times when scientists come up with a theory, then, then many other scientists start practicing that theory or working through that theory. And, and as far as I could uh, find out and, and understand from the articles and things, this theory is holding up to the fact that he's kind of saying that, okay, the way we thought that our universe and everything came to be because of string theory, it cannot be that way. So it's just a discrepancy here. Now, this isn't always, this has been the case in many different times, right? If we go back to the, to the 70s and early 80s, you would have before kind of like the, the Big Bang push, we had the steady state theory, a view that the universe is always expanding but maintaining a, a constant average density, with matter being continuously created to form new stars and galaxies out of the same rate that old ones become unobservable as a consequence of their increasing distance and velocity of recession. In other words, that the, the galaxy is expanding and there's new matter coming in and it's replacing it. There's this, this kind of idea, and a gentleman by that name was Fred Hoyle, who came up with the solid state theory. However, the numbers did not add up for him. Kind of like the numbers from the 2014 scientists are, are not adding up with the 2018 scientists, right? Things are not adding up. What Hoyle said was that the hydrogen, hydrogen atoms, that would he, that's what he thought was happening, that hydrogen atoms would spontaneously appear and replace the atoms that are, that are falling out, right? That's kind of his hypothesis in Joe layman's, very layman's terms. Um, so the hydrogen atoms that were appearing from nothing became carbon life forms could not be explained. So there's no way that this gentleman named Hoyle could come up with, okay, how do these hydrogen atoms become carbon atoms, you and me? He could not figure that out. He could not come up with that. He could not, there's no way that he could get there. The, the, um, the numbers never added up. Hoyle said that the likelihood of a Big Bang taking hydrogen atoms and turning them into people is about the same likelihood of a tornado going through a junkyard and creating a Boeing 747. Pretty unlikely. Hoyle came to the conclusion that biomaterials with their amazing measure of order must be the outcome of intelligent design. He's the one that coined the 
the phrase intelligent design. But don't let us think just because that we've proved some science and that he's seen something that he can't prove that that's going to lead them to God because Hoyle died an atheist, not believing in God. He lived his entire life that way and he died that way. Hoyle said for the math to work, the way to explain this, human beings, here's how he explained it. And again, I'm not trying to make fun of, I'm just stating the truth that I found. His idea was it was from aliens. Aliens brought it in and gave us the order to make this happen. Why go there? Why did Hull go to aliens and not to God as what he called a superintelligence that monkeyed with the science? Why did he go to the aliens? Because if your understanding is that there is a creator God who made all things, right? Including you, including your life, your breath, your heart, your family, your love. Ultimately, your intellect will affect what your heart believes. And you will believe that you have a loving obligation to that creator. So what happens is, is it puts you in sort of a box, right? If you are admitting, if you are saying that, that there is a creator God out there, then in some way, in some form, I'm probably obligated to the person that created me, right? Much like we are obligated, not on the same, don't, don't, get, don't, get, go, don't go there, not on the same level, but we are obligated, as even God tells us, to honor our mother and fathers. We are obligated to those in, in, in human ways created us, although we know that God ultimately gives life. So we understand that as humans. So this Hoyle gentleman would not go there. It puts you in a box. We get, a, uh, uh, we get this idea in this tension. We see this tension of being put in a, in a box obligated to the one that, that created us. We see that in Genesis 1, right? As it, is, as it is flushed out. How we consistently exchange the knowledge of God for exchange worshiping the creator with worshiping the creation. And we know that if we are obligated to someone and, and we love someone, that changes the way that we have to live, does it not? Right? If, if you love someone and you truly love someone, it automatically limits your freedom. Why does it limit your freedom? Because to love someone is to place their priorities above your own. Right? That's what it means to love someone. Let's just be real for a moment. If you believe in a creator, there are some limitations upon your intellect because you will not know everything, right? You, you can't explain everything. You, you can't explain away everything. There, there has to be faith involved in a creator God who made everything, designed everything, and everything is running by his design and by his will. Much of your life will be lived by faith, not a leap of faith, but faith in a creator and his design, and also um, there are limitations to everything that happens in your life. 
So what I'm trying to say and trying to show you is although science has, has many different theories and, and they're showing us these different theories, even though this man Hoyle even was like, man, this had to be intelligently designed, the human person, right? It, it puts you in sort of a box where if you believe that there's a creator or something, that means I got to give up these freedoms and people just are not willing to go there. I think we've seen that played out in our culture, um, you know, even more and more and more as we step away from what the Bible says is true about how we have come to be. That freedom has become, uh, you know, the trump card on all things. Many times we will, we will say our rights, right? It's, it's just freedom. But it's something that's intrinsically human that, that if, if we're going to say that, that God is the creator, then I will be obligated to the creator, right? But we don't want to say that. We, we'll find another way to explain away all that we saw in that video, which is amazing. The only way to really answer that question is to ask, what do you sacrifice without a creator? What if there was no creator? Right? The only way to answer that is to see and answer that question, what if there was no creator? What if the science and the math work and the aliens were your answer? Then what? If creation is not a God, then there is another confinement. What is that confinement? Creation is all there is, right? Then creation is all there is. You may get ahead of the person sitting next to you if you are strong enough, clever enough, good-looking enough, and a dice of life roll your way and everything works out for you. You may get ahead of the game for a while if, if this is all that we have. If all that we have is everything that we can see and everything that we can experience, if this is all we have, then, then maybe you'll get ahead. Maybe you'll do better. Maybe things will get better. But we all know that one day, the dice will no longer roll for us. And we will take our last breath. And then what? If all that there is, is just what has been created. The philosopher Albert Camus said, there is no exit. All we have is what is. You, your life, your hopes, your family is a product of physics, biology, and chance. And that is all there is until the end. Man, that's a scary thought, isn't it? If you're waking up each and every day of your life thinking this is all there is, nothing can ever change, this is just the, the hand I've been dealt, this is, this is my life, all there is is creation. But what if there is a creator? What if what is pushing back all the walls of these confinements is this creation is a God who made all things? A God who is eternal, who is powerful, who is wise, and who is caring? What if there is that God? If you accept, believe what is happening in Genesis 1-1, then you have the opportunity to receive what is said on the other end of the book. So that means no matter what your life has given you, at the end, the Bible and the Word of God gives us a tremendous end. 
In Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, brother and sister, if we believe Genesis 1, then we can believe Revelation 21. And then our life is filled with hope because it's not all about only what has been created, but there is a creator who is organizing and seeing our lives. Why would it be reasonable to accept that there will be a new creation because you believe there was a creator of this creation? They tie together. If we open up Genesis 1 and we see that God, the creator, created everything, then we can trust him when he says that one day I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And those who trust and believe in Jesus, the son who has paid the penalty for your sin, you will be with me in that new heavens and new earth. That erases all of the boxes that science in believing that creation is the only thing that exists put us in. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful God that we serve. But if you deny the first creation, then you deny resurrection. Hope is gone. All you have is the here and now, with even though we buy into it quite often, don't we? So many times we will run and, and worship the creation and forget about the creator. And we know that deep down in our hearts that eventually that's going to fail us too. And thankfully we can, we can turn to God and say, forgive me, Lord, and, and go to him and, because of what Jesus has done. See, hope can be found in the very beginning of the Bible, in the first two verses of the Bible. Hope is found there in a creator God who is eternal, powerful, wise, and caring. So let's, let's look at that God that is, is found in, the, in just in the first two verses of our Bibles. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. When our beginning occurred, God already was. His existence predated even the beginning. Before anything was, God was there. And that is not just said in Genesis 1-1. In Psalms 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting past to everlasting future, there is God. He's there. He was there before anything was, and he'll be there long after if he decides to get rid of everything. God will be there. He is eternal. He is eternal. He's always been. It's not the same for us. We are his creation. So stop and think about it. Think about his words to us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. If God is eternal and he is an eternal God and he's been there ever since the beginning of anything, before the beginning of time, before the beginning of anything, and you hear him say these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal 
life. Huh. That promise becomes reasonable. If God himself is eternal, when God says, I can make you eternal, you say, you are the creator. You can do that. It just shows us that seeing who God is is so important for how we read and, and see the rest of the Bible and, and who Jesus was is, is the fullest impression of who Jesus, who God is that we have. When God says, I can make you eternal, <laughs> you say, yes, you are creator God who has always been there and always will be there. You can make me eternal with you through your son, Jesus. So God is eternal, but he's not only just eternal, he is amazingly powerful. The Hebrew, Hebrew word bara, which is translated, translated created, means to bring into existence. Traditionally, and still holding today, is God created everything ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God did not take um, eternally preexistent matter or substance and reshape it or reconfigure it into the present world. He, his creative activity is not like that of a human artist who needs to take other materials to form something that they create. God created out of nothing. He just spoke. That's how he did it. He spoke it into existence. This is known as the divine imperative, or fiat, not the car. <laughs> the divine imperative. He spoke it, and it happened. We see this throughout the chapter. Let there be, and God said, throughout the chapter, first chapter of Genesis. We see, see it throughout the Bible also. As God speaks, he spoke everything into existence. R.C. Sproul explains it this way. In creation, there was no block of stone or massive unstructured matter, but only the command of God, who alone had the power to make things happen simply by uttering a command. It was the power of, God, of his word that created. By the power of his word and his sovereign, efficacious will, God can make things happen simply by his decree. God spoke it, and it happened. It was created. We see this on display with Jesus. Mark 4:39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He just told the winds to stop and the seas to stop causing the waves. He spoke it and it happened. We also see this with Lazarus, right? In John eleven thirty nine, 39, we see Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. Remember, Lazarus has died. And the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. But what we read in verse 43, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. By his voice, by his command, by his word, Lazarus was brought to life. He is tremendously powerful. This is why proclaiming the gospel was so important for us. 
It doesn't matter how, in, how much of an intellectual ascent we can get a person to come to. I mean, this, this one Hoyle gentleman, he, he termed it the, the idea of intelligent design, but yet he was still an atheist. It, it's about proclaiming the gospel. It's about proclaiming what the good news of Jesus has done. This is God's word bringing life from death. It is God's good news, right, that calls us, all who are to come to him with the word of God, bringing them from death to life, from a hard heart to a heart of flesh, from being hostile towards God to a, a loving relationship. It is the effectual call that does this. It is the proclamation of the gospel that does this. Yes, sometimes we, we need to talk to people and love on them through all their questions and all their things so that we can get to the gospel, but it is truly the gospel that's going to change their heart. It's what Jesus has done that's going to change their heart. God creates everything that we saw in the video we watched by his declared decree, his word. Man, God is so powerful. Just think about this for a minute. The observable universe says, our scientists, is, our scientists say the observable universe is 46 billion light years in breadth. In other words, across. If you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, from our earth to the sun, it would take you about eight minutes to get there. Okay? If you could travel at the speed of light. But if you go from our sun to the middle of the Milky Way galaxy, which is one galaxy, if you think back into that last picture, among many galaxies, that would take you 33,000 years at light speed just to get to the middle of our galaxy. We know that we are just among many galaxies. Another illustration, if you could total all the grains of sand on all the beaches in the world, on, on planet Earth, there are more stars than that. And he just spoke them into existence. What a powerful God. What a powerful God. If God did all that, then he is really, really, really powerful. To the question, and, and this, this is about at the point of the sermon where, where Joe sits down his stuff and gets really frustrated at Joe because he's seeing something here. He's seeing this massive, giant, powerful God and know how little I believe and trust in all that he has done and all that he says that he wants to do for his creation, for his son, for his daughter. Amazing. Why would we not live a life dependent on this powerful God? If he can speak all that we saw in that video, light years, millions of stars and billions of stars and all these galaxies, he spoke into existence. Why would we not get up every single day and just live? Lord, what, help me today. That... I'm still in awe of that. 
Why, why don't I desire to spend time with him instead of desiring to spend time in all these created things? He is that powerful, eternal God. Why don't I pray to him as he has told us in his word to, to come to me, ask me. I want to love you, to care for you, to give mercy to you. It's, a, it, it's like, Joe, what is wrong with you? But man, there's grace. We can never forget the grace. And God is eternal, he is powerful, and God is wise. Genesis 1-2, we read, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God will, in the rest of the chapter, uh, create and order things in such a way that it will support life, right? He made everything to work perfectly, our plan and design just right for life. He is very wise. He is a very wise creator, God. If we were a little closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were a little further away, we would freeze. For some reason, somewhere along the line, I, I heard, and I don't know if it's right, and maybe someone can correct me afterwards, I heard like seven miles. Like it, 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 for some reason, somewhere in, in all my thinking, not just this week, just in, in life, like if we were seven miles closer to the sun, we would burn up, and seven miles further away, we would freeze. That's amazing. That he is so wise and makes things so perfectly. At the personal level, even just your blood has to be just right. If your blood was thinner, you would hemorrhage and die. If your blood was thicker, it would clot and you would die of a stroke or heart attack. But yet your blood is designed to be a perfect, perfect thickness. <laughs> he is a wise God. Even when you drill down to the microscopic level, we see how each protein and enzyme works to replenish our bodies. Thankfully, science and God has given us some really smart people to be able to, to dive in and look and, and, and to expand this and see this so that we can see all that God has designed. Francis Crick, the, the one who helped us understand much of this, co-discoverer of DNA, recognized that the complexity was so great that even if you were to allow five billion years of evolutionary materialism upon this earth, there would not be enough time to create the bodies as we now have them. So the guy that found DNA, he was like, there's no way this is happening by chance. <laughs> it's just not happening. Crick said, and I'm quoting, primitive life forms must have been sent here, get this, on spaceships from advanced extraterrestrial civilizations to explain life as we know it with DNA. I find it fascinating <laughs> that one scientist who was looking at the cosmos and one scientist is looking at the very little microscopic DNA all came to the same conclusion in, in, in a way that Aliens, right? This is not happening by chance. They're giving credit. Now they gave credit to aliens. Like some other life form brought this to us. I just found that fascinating. It's like they both play the same 
or go to the same place. I point this out not to make fun, but to show you that our conclusions that there is a creator is no less faith-based than people who say that we are here because of extraterrestrials. Don't let someone say, well, yeah, you can believe that. You could believe Genesis 1, but that's just, you know, a faith thing. Well, so is all the other ideas. At some point, they're taking it upon faith because the numbers don't add up. The numbers just, they don't add up. Our view is not less plausible, less reasonable than some of the most current theories that exist in science world today. Hebrews 11.3 tells us, <laughs> a book that was written thousands of years ago comes out and tells us, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith we understand this. The God who creates has sovereign power over what he creates. What is, what is the point of verse 2 as we, as we look at it? Does it say that God won the struggle over chaos? No, no, no. What it says, is the point of verse 2 is there's triumph over any possibility of chaos because there is an intelligent creator who is creating everything. God is working in perfect harmony. The Father as the source, the Son always mediating, and the Spirit always perfecting from the beginning. This is how God works. Although it is not explicitly stated in the first verses of the Bible, but we have the picture of the Trinity working in perfect harmony to order the chaos. God the Father creating, the Spirit hovering perfectly over that chaos, making it perfect. And this idea of hovering is, is, is like a bird or a mother bird hovering over the nest, caring for her children that the Holy Spirit is perfecting things. Isn't that one of his roles for us as he perfects us? He moves us from one image to another into the image of Jesus. And there is Jesus. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this? Well, he is the word. That's what Daniel read to us, right? He is the agent. He is the one enacting all that God wants done. And where is Jesus? And he comes on the scene in verse three, and God said, the word of God, Jesus the son mediating all that the father wants to accomplish. What an awesome God we serve. God is eternal, he is powerful, he is wise, and he is caring. He cares for you. He cares for you. How do we know that? Because he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is telling us about himself. He's revealing himself to us. He didn't have to do that. He could be anywhere in the universe doing whatever he wants to do. But he chose to reveal himself to us because he is a loving and caring God. Psalms 8, 4 through 8 what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of their hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. What are we that he is mindful of us? 
But yet he does care for us so, so specifically, so intimately. He loves us so greatly. B.B. Warfield says, in creation we have a beautiful window placed before us and you have a choice simply to look at the window or to look through the window at what it was designed to reveal, to reveal a creator God. So do we spend time looking at the window, looking at the workmanship, the materials that it was made of, how it was designed, or do we use the window to look through it to see God? to see the creator God. Christians should be doing both. We should be looking at all that God is revealing through science and math, how our bodies work, the stars and everything in our world, but we should not stop there and admire the science. We should be looking through the window of the science and math to see what it reveals. A God who says, I'm going to show you myself to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. In fact, not only am I revealing myself to you through the words of the beginning of the book, but I stepped out of heaven and I came to you so that you may know who I am, so that you may believe who I am. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He cares for you. He cares so much and he's given us such privilege that later on in Hebrews 4:16 it says, "Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." What an awesome God we serve. He is eternal. He is powerful, he is wise, and he cares for you and me. The God of Genesis 1 is the creator God. And he cares deeply for you. Do you know him today? Do you know him today? Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the reminder of of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us see this and to know you that you created all things. And Lord, that all the good things that you have given us, Lord, I pray that you will help us use them as a window to look through, to see you. Help us do so by your Spirit. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know this God, who does not know the God who sent his only Son 
to die on the cross so that it will remove the wrath that we deserve for the rebellion and sin that we have committed, whose perfect life gives us the righteousness we need to stand in your place, whose blood has washed away our sins as far as the east is the west. Lord, I pray if there's one here that your word has gone out and you have changed their hearts. And Lord, may they respond with repentance, turning from trusting in self and trusting you. And Lord, for those that have known you, who have followed you, maybe today is just a fresh look at who you are, that you are creator God, that you have created everything. And may we live a life dependent upon you. Lord, help us do that. And that will help us shine the light that you have called us to shine in this dark world we live. Help us do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.